And we're back in the car, headed to a Super Bowl party. Welcome to episode 85 of the Confessions of a Not-So-Dangerous Mind podcast. I'd like to thank you all for spending some of your Sunday evening here with me. If you end up checking out episode 85 on the YouTube channel, haven't done so already, please click like, subscribe, comment, turn on those notifications. Or if you catch this episode on the audio platform, such as Spotify or iTunes, same rule applies. If you enjoy the content, click like, subscribe, turn on those notifications. So there really aren't that many major historical events from the sporting perspective that I watched live. In this case, I mean events which change the course of a certain sport the history of a certain sport changing in real time, living history. Now, baseball is obviously a big deal for me, and yes, I watched a number of New York Yankees World Championships happen in real time. The Yankees uh, clinched the 1996 World Series, 98, 99, 2000, 2009, but that's not really... You could kind of argue that the 1996 World Series did change the trajectory of baseball, but it's not really the same thing. One major sporting event, which I watched live, which did alter trajectories of careers, the way that a certain individual would forever be uh, kind of considered historically, um, happened 34 years ago tonight. And it was the World Heavyweight Championship fight between, at the time, 37-0, undefeated, undisputed, and rarely even tested heavyweight champion, Iron Mike Tyson, against a really terrific fighter named James Douglas, or Buster, who, he, the sense of was that he was not, had not maximized his talent. And this is something that, unlike many other sports, boxing, because of the brutal nature of it, the nature of the pain, the suffering, exhaustion, there are some people who just didn't seem to have what other people had in terms of the ability to keep themselves focused and moving as the levels of discomfort increased. And you could argue that that's neither here nor there, but it's an important thing with boxing, specifically with Buster Douglas, who was so incredibly talented. Anyway, I was 16 years old, and Mike Tyson was almost doing a bit of a, a world tour as um, you know, and normally the on this days with boxing, I talk about Ali and his name will come up because the careers of Ali and Tyson had certain parallels for different reasons. And um, Mike, of course, uh, Ali is probably his favorite person, certainly his his favorite fighter to talk about over time. And you know, whether they're on his his podcast or when he's on with Joe Rogan, they love to talk about him. Um, but the Buster Douglas fight was 34 years ago tonight and took place at Kyokuen Stadium in Japan. It was not pay-per-view, in other words. The famous Tyson Spinks fight from 1988, almost two years prior, which generally regarded that was Tyson at his peak. He just rolled over Mike Spinks, who was admittedly not a real heavyweight. And I love Mike Spinks. He was an incredible light heavyweight. He had no business becoming heavyweight champ. You know, he had, obviously, he beat Larry Holmes disputed twice, and um, they tossed him in there against Jerry Cooney, who really wasn't ready for a title fight, but there was no way that Michael Spinks was going to beat Tyson. That that was, if they had fought a hundred times, like there's no version of the Matrix in which 
Mike Spinks wins that fight. And Michael Spinks was an extraordinary light heavyweight, easily top five, maybe top three. But he wasn't he wasn't the level of heavyweight that could challenge somebody like Mike Tyson. So Tyson, the idea is that after he won the title from Trevor Burbick, he had a number of relatively easy defenses. He had a couple of fights that were a little bit taxing. Frank Bruno uh, hit him a couple of times when they fought. Uh, Tyson ended up winning in five, but Bruno actually shook him up. Bruno was a big, big guy, built like a brick shithouse. Um, most of his fights were easy, although Tony Tubbs fight was a joke. Larry Holmes would, was, you know, Holmes wasn't as shot as people thought because he ended up beating um, Ray Mercer three years after Tyson almost killed him. So, like, the narrative, well, the Holmes was shot. Well, yeah, Holmes was way past his prime, but Larry was still a terrific fighter. He just shouldn't have been in there against that iteration of Mike Tyson, who was a merciless, he was in his own way merciless. He was ruthless, you know, in the ring. And Holmes wasn't ready for that fight. He, he would have needed more time, and I don't believe the 1988 version of, of Larry Holmes beats the 1988 Tyson. You know, you want to argue the 78, that's another conversation. Then it's certainly a, a much more competitive fight. But the idea is that Mike had a lot of easy defenses. Carl the Truth Williams, that was a kind of disputed stoppage. But it didn't look like Carl, who had given Larry Holmes all he could handle a few years earlier. Mike was not going to have much trouble with him. So he had a bunch of these kind of easy defenses. And there was a sense, whether it's sort of historical Monday morning quarterbacking, that Tyson was declining and had declined slightly from a guy who knew how to set up his punches, knew how to defend himself using the classic, because he learned from Customato, who was the late, great Floyd Patterson's was trainer, and Customato was a guy who knew everything about the sport, and he taught Mike Tyson that defense, which is known as the peekaboo defense, where he would keep his hands up. Mike was not reckless. You look at Mike's early fights, yes, he usually gets his opponents out of there quick, but he's not reckless. He's not sitting there winging and throwing home run bombs. He's setting up his punches, he's throwing short bursts, and he's landing, and he doesn't have to throw the Sunday punch. A couple of normal punches from Tyson is enough to incapacitate most opponents. So he had started swinging for the fences, and the idea was that when Kevin Rooney was no longer his trainer, he and Rooney had some issues, Nobody really knows if this is true. Again, it could be a little bit of Monday morning quarterbacking, but it seemed that Tyson was content to go for Sunday punches and home run bombs rather than rely on his very serious boxing skills. He was not a just a guy who could swing for the fences. You know, I love Deontay Wilder, but like, for example, Tyson Fury can really hit. Tyson Fury is also a terrific boxer. And you could say the same about, for example, Vladimir Klitschko, who was a guy who could really hit. But Vladimir was also a boxer. Lennox Lewis could take a guy's head off. But Lennox Lewis, and he talked about this and talks about this even on his social media, if there was a fight where he simply needed to outbox his opponent, Lennox could sure as fuck win 10 rounds out of 12. And Mike had that ability to do that. He didn't just have to throw big shots and take guys out with one punch. So the night of the Buster Douglas fight, I was 16, and this is something I watched live on HBO on a small television in the kitchen of the old house in Massapequa. Now, I knew who Buster Douglas was. I knew that he was a, a, a tough contender. I didn't know the all of the history of him, that he was a guy who unfortunately had a reputation of when when things got bad, he was going to fold up. 
that he was not somebody who was going to it's not that he wasn't going to give his best effort. I don't want to impugn the guy. It's boxing for crying out loud. Anybody who gets in the ring is deserving of our respect. But within the community of people who do that and did that, he was a guy who was thought to, if he got into deep water, he was in trouble. That he wasn't somebody that was going to be able to take his opponent into deep water. And this is something that Mike Tyson always talked about with Ali and you know, even recently on his podcast, that he was going to... Uh, that Ali was a guy, he'd get you into deep water and drown you. This is where, you know, Mike was asked, and people love to talk about this with him because he gets so excited discussing it. You know, you and Ali, when you were both in your early 20s or mid-20s, what do you think? And he would say, I wouldn't have wanted any part of that guy. That's a man that, for all of his looks, he looked like a model in there. He'd get you into deep water and he would drown you. So that famous night of Tyson Douglas, Mike came into the ring, in the pre-fight, um, and I saw the HBO broadcast, one of the great things about the internet is I always say that YouTube is like a museum, a museum of history of all kinds, but if you're a boxing fan, there's so much incredible stuff that's available. When you were a Generation X or watching TV live, you didn't have unlimited choices of which version of what broadcast you could watch. The version of the Tyson-Douglas fight that I and everyone in the United States saw was on HBO. As I say, not pay-per-view. It wasn't the, the, what was called TVKO, which was HBO pay-per-view. And then it would air on regular HBO. But, but by that point, you already knew who won the fight. But the Tyson-Douglas fight, which I believe uh, the fight went off around 10 o'clock on a Saturday night you know, in New York. Uh, it was the best commentators that they ever had. And it was a number of years where the lead play-by-play -play was Jim Lampley, a phenomenal, who's great with football, but I would argue he's the best at play-by-play -play of boxing, as good as anybody who ever did it on TV. And his color commentator, we had two. One was Larry Merchant, who was a sports writer and a much acclaimed award-winning sports writer, and Sugar Ray Leonard, who was still fighting, and yes, he was past his prime, but Ray was in his early 30s, still a terrific fighter. He had recently had a brawl, a great all-time fight with Donnie Leyland, uh, which I believe took place in, in 1988 or 89. So Ray, although he was coming to the end, was still a fearsome fighter. You know, Ray, another guy with the good looks, but man, you wouldn't want to fuck with him. Young Ray Leonard was an absolute beast in there. Fast and could hit and wasn't afraid to get hit and just dish it out and take it. And man, I love watching Ray Leonard fight. But the sense before the fight was, this is going to be one or two rounds. Buster is talented. He's a big guy. He can move. He can hit. And there are certain fights in Buster Douglas's earlier career that people pointed to to say he is a massive talent. He is an enormously talented fighter. He isn't just some big guy. This is somebody who can really fight. And when he has his head together, he's capable of giving any heavyweight a run for their money, including Mike Tyson. But there was also the idea that when things go south, if Buster gets hit early, he may just take, you know, they didn't say take the paycheck and run, but the idea was Mike was better and Buster was not somebody that was likely to stick around late into the fight. Not that Mike was necessarily known for having incredible stamina, but he didn't need it because most of his fights were over early and Mike did, he was known for the road work, he did do cardio, and even if he used to go up and wait between fights, it doesn't mean that he was going to gas out if the fight got into the fourth or fifth round. So on that night, I was hoping to see a competitive fight, like anybody else. You know, obviously I knew people who probably 
I did a prop bet, Mike Tyson to win inside of two rounds, and I don't know what the odds were, but there were certain areas in Vegas where you couldn't get odds on the fight, and this was something that Larry Merchant talked about as the fight unfolded, and Buster Douglas won the first at least three rounds. Um, I remember when the fight started, if you didn't know who was who, if all you knew was, like let's say you took a time traveler from 1970, you know, the days of when Ali was coming back and Joe Frazier and George Foreman coming up through the ranks, and you transported them to 1990 and said, this is a heavyweight championship fight, it's being fought overseas because the money is there, and, and we're not going to tell you who the champion is, but this is two guys that are going for the heavyweight title. You would not have instantly known who the champion was just by the movement in the ring and by the way the fight was going. Because Buster Douglas, right away from the first minute of the fight, was dictating pace, dictating tempo, using his left paw to keep range on Tyson. He was doing everything right from a fundamental standpoint. And this is the thing that historically, it will be shocking for young people who know of this fight, but maybe haven't watched it and know of for real, what a one-man wrecking crew Mike Tyson was. Man was 37-0 and 0 with either 34 or 34 knockouts coming into this fight. Most of those fights were very easy fights. So the upset would have been, the, let's say, the fight going to even the fourth round, let alone that Douglas was clearly winning all of the rounds. And that was the thing that, you know, I remember they were showing Evander Holyfield at ringside. And Evander was um, cruiserweight champ, and he was a huge prospect in his own right. But unlike Mike Spinks, Evander was a guy who had the build to be a heavyweight, even if he wasn't a quote-unquote natural heavyweight. You know, it's that's neither here nor there. But I remember after the third or fourth round, where it seemed to me that, that Buster had won all the rounds, and Tyson didn't look beat up, but he wasn't really looking that confident in his corner. He looked like he didn't know what the answer was and what the fuck is going on. I'm supposed to just walk through this guy, and he's taking some shots, and he's dishing it out. And I remember them showing Evander at ringside. Um, man, he was well-dressed. Evander was like wearing what appeared to be like, he was wearing like a hand-tailored suit. He had a Rolex on, I think, and he looked phenomenal. You know, Evander was probably still in his 20s at the time. And he looked aggravated. And I remember Larry Merchant saying, Evander has whatever, some crazy amount of money guaranteed to fight, to fight Mike. And that money is now not in the bank because this fight is very much, I mean, we can expect Mike to win, but based on what we're seeing, this fight is in the, it's in the balance. And Larry Merchant was right. Like nobody wanted to make predictions early in the fight as it unfolded. The expectation was at a certain point, Tyson was gonna unleash because why wouldn't he? We knew that he had this power that was real and that he was a dangerous fighter and that structurally, he was not a one-punch knockout guy, even though he had become that, but that he was a terrific fighter and he did everything fundamentally well in the ring. But so did Buster Douglas. And the talk was, Buster Douglas's mom, unfortunately, had passed away not long before this particular fight. And it's a cliche, but there was an idea that he was fighting for her, that he was not going to fold up or quit because of the memory of his mom was going to push him to greater heights. Now, if Tyson had squared him up in the first round and taken him out early, none of that would have made any difference. But the fact is that Buster continued to keep distance with his jab, and Mike was swinging for the fences, and Buster was able to tie him up when he got hit. And again, then you start to get into the body weight thing because not every fighter is known for having a good chin, and sometimes it's a matter of weight. Now, Buster, as the 
Larry Merchant and Ray Leonard and Jim Lampley pointed out, Buster was not known as a guy who had tremendous punching power, but he is a big man. Buster was 230 to 240, and even if he had a little bit of, you know, roll of flab around his midsection, he was in shape for that fight. You know, and we've seen Tyson Fury seemingly be 50 pounds overweight and yet still have boundless energy in the 10th and 11th round. So it's not always just about what you look like cosmetically. And cosmetically, Mike Tyson appeared to be a lot fitter than Buster. As the fight went along, to my eyes, Buster Douglas was winning every round. I think that either round five or six, uh, and, and the scorecards were a lot closer than I indicate here because nobody wanted Tyson to lose and the judges were going to give him every round that it was even an arguable, you know, situation. So you get to like fifth, sixth round and I think that Tyson maybe won either the fifth or sixth but the idea was this is 12 rounds, no more 15 round fights. The last 15 round that I remember of 15 round heavyweight fight was uh, Larry Holmes versus Carl Williams, if I'm not mistaken. I'm pretty sure, and that was 1985. And that rule was changed because of the, mostly the Ray Mancini, Dooku Kim, where Dooku Kim ended up dying after the fight. There was an idea that we're gonna try to make this brutal sport safer. Again, no judgment, but that's the way that it worked out. So the point is, this is a 12 round fight. And there were certainly fights Ray Leonard versus Thomas Hearns, you know, and Ali versus Frazier, the third fight where the championship rounds, in this case, the 13th, 14th, and 15th, where the outcome of the fight could tilt because of those, what are known as the championship rounds. And now the championship rounds would have been the 10th, 11th, and 12th. So it gets past round six, and I am on the edge of my seat, and I gotta tell you, I was, I was kind of rooting for Buster Douglas. I had issues with Mike Tyson's attitude back then. There was a lot, I, I was never really a Tyson fan, a fan of his talent for sure. But I always wanted to see competitive sporting contests, much like I didn't like Super Bowls that ended up 52 to 10. I wanted to see a competitive game. I didn't like the Bears beating the Patriots 46 to 10 and, and games like that. The famous game with the 49ers and Broncos 52 to 17 or whatever it was. There were so many blowouts, speaking of Super Bowl. I wanted to see competitive fights. And I remember, I just, even sitting there alone in the kitchen watching this 13-inch TV, I could not believe what I was seeing. I wasn't thinking high-minded at age 16 that, wow, I'm watching history in real time. But I was watching a competitive world heavyweight boxing match for the first time in my life that I was seeing this, and I was loving every minute of it. Now, I didn't know that Douglas was going to win or anything like that, and I don't even know for sure who I wanted to win in the moment. What I knew was that I was thrilled by what I was seeing. And I was engaged as much as I was a big boxing fan. It was more so the history, Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns, Ray Leonard and Thomas Hearns. I didn't get to see those fights live. I was a little boy, you know, knowing about Ali's career. I was already an Ali scholar by that point. So watching that live, and I remember in the eighth round, and this was the point in the fight where without trying to jinx anybody because announcers are very much aware of these things, Jim Lampley and Larry Merchant and even Ray Leonard, who was friends with, uh, I, I don't wanna say friends, I don't know that they were friends. I know that Ray Leonard and Mike Tyson were on friendly terms and Ray really loved him as a fighter. And, and Mike, of course, loved Ray as a fighter. But what I'm, I'm thinking of specifically is a historical moment that some of you know when Muhammad Ali was a guest with Arsenio Hall in the late 80s, as unfortunately his health had declined massively. And Mike Tyson and Ray Leonard 
came out and it was a surprise and Ali was in, in total shock and the Arsenio Hall, the audience went fucking crazy because no one was expecting that Ray and Mike were going to be there. And it's a really wholesome, again, despite the fact that these three guys, their job, their livelihood, and why we, re we remember them as three of the greats, because they were so good at rendering their opponents unconscious, incapacitated, unable to continue. But this was a wholesome moment between these three titans of boxing, however you want to rank Mike Tyson in terms of all-time heavyweights, and Ray Leonard in terms of, you know, he fought in different weight classes, Ray, I mean, historically, Ray was better than Mike, we, most people would agree, you know, relatively speaking. But it was a wholesome moment, because Mike, at that point, was undefeated, and he was blasting everybody out uh, in, you know, the first or second round. This was at least six months before the Douglas fight. And when um, Arsenio Hall, and not, not trying to stir up any shit, but when Arsenio asked both Ali and Tyson, you know, if the two of you fought, if you rumbled, the same question that Mike gets asked now, and, and you know, he and Joe Rogan have talked about it, and, um, you know, he talks about it on his podcast. If the two of you fought at your peak when you were both in your early 20s, who wins? And Tyson said, you know that I, I have a huge ego, but if you're asking me, there's a time when every head must bow, this guy was the best heavyweight who ever lived, and I don't think that I beat him. And then Mike, you know, Ali says, nah, he, he could have taken me. And, and it ends up just being really a wholesome moment between two great warriors, two in-ring warriors. But Ray Leonard, if you read between the lines of his commentary in the eighth round, he is now convinced that Mike is going to lose this fight. And towards the end of the round, Mike is on the ropes and he is really getting his head handed to him. This is not just pitter-pat punches. Buster is lining him up and squaring him. But, but, Buster is not being as cautious as he has been the entire fight. He's no longer using his jab to keep distance. You know, the old sugar, uh, excuse me, Roberto Duran trick to parry with the jab, knowing you're not going to connect. But because you are keeping distance with the jab, you are keeping your opponent at a distance and you're keeping him measured. Douglas stops doing that because he's on the attack. He's throwing right hand leads. He's letting loose with his punches. He's not trying to get hit, but he's he's not being as cautious. And Ray Leonard, if you watch um, if you watch the HBO version of the fight, the reason why I'm saying that is uh, Colonel Bob Sheridan, who I would argue was as good as Jim Lampley uh, as a fight broadcaster. He did a lot of famous fights, Ali Foreman and Zaire, many great fights. And Colonel Bob was an incredible play-by-play -play announcer. He gave an, a great call for, for example, from a more contemporary perspective, the 2007 fight between uh, Oscar De La Hoya and Floyd Mayweather, which at the time was the biggest pay-per-view purchase ever, ever. But Colonel Bob Sheridan did the international broadcast, and his call is great. But towards the end of the eighth round, as Buster is landing, Jim Lampley says something like, Mike's not throwing back. And Ray Leonard then chimes in, I've never seen Mike on the receiving end, or words to that effect, like this, never seen it. And just as Ray completes the thought, which if you complete in your own mind, what is Ray telling us? Ray is telling us Mike's going to lose this fight. He's going to have to win a decision, realistically, because he's landed some shots on Buster, and Buster just keeps moving forward, and Buster looks fresh, and it looks like Mike might be out on his feet here as round eight comes to a conclusion. And just as Ray completes that obvious thought, which I was thinking the same thing, watching it live, leaning into the TV, almost in shock, 
Mike unleashes a hellacious uppercut and Buster goes backwards. You know, and sometimes guys get hit and go backwards. We've seen that and they keep their feet. In the 1996 fight, the first fight between Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield, there is a moment and I believe round five where Mike lands a massive shot on Evander. And Evander backs up, but does not drop. He backs up and does not drop. In this case, Buster took the shot, he absorbed it, he backed up, and he went down. Now, I couldn't tell, and how could anybody tell from the angle, just how great of a punch was that? Was this was this a fight-ending uppercut? Now, remember, Mike was getting the shit beat out of him, and he had to have been exhausted from the punches and from swinging for the fences, especially as he became more and more frustrated with the fight going on, etc., etc. Buster went down. He didn't, go, he, he didn't go down as hard. This was not, and we've seen some other clips of Mike landing heavy knockdowns on fighters where it looks like the fight's going to be over and maybe the guy gets up. Like Larry Holmes, um, the first two knockdowns in the Holmes fight, especially the second one, it looked like the fight could have been over. Buster went down, and if you watch the video, as Octavio Mehran, the, the official, was not some rookie official. Octavio Mehran did a ton of championship fights. He knew what he was doing. Um, as soon as Buster went down, he kind of slammed his hand, his glove, against the canvas, which indicated that he got hit hard, but he knew which end was up. Like, he didn't go down to take a break. You know, sometimes when fighters get blasted, they take a knee uh, to give themselves some time. And, and you're, you're allowed to do that. Yeah, you're giving your opponent a 10-8 round, but there's no rule that says you can't take a knee or can't go down to keep from getting knocked out. So when Buster hit his glove on the canvas, in my mind, he's going to get up because he obviously, if he's unconscious, like just laying there and doesn't know which end is up, he's not going to do that. So there was controversy. And even to this day, there is controversy because the sense is that Octavio Mehran, the official, it was a longer count than it should have been. And this is a, this is a real thing in boxing. And certainly the second, excuse me, the, the third Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury fight on one of the knockdowns of Fury, there is an idea that, um, the official gave Fury a long count. But, but that's not, the, the thing in boxing, it's not 10 seconds, it's a count of 10. And every referee has a different cadence. And if you watch other Octavio Mehran fights, he has a longer cadence than other referees. And nobody ever said, bro, you've got to go faster. This is his 10 count. And I've seen it, guys like Steve Smoger and other officials, Arthur McCanty back in the day, Arthur McCanty Sr. gave a faster count than Octavio Mehran. That is correct. But as long as a fighter is on their feet by the time this particular referee hits nine, the fight continues. And that's why the idea of Buster got a longer count is irrelevant as far as is it fair or not. You can argue that, but it's not. it was not an illegally long count. Mehran picked up the count. He gave it to him, and Buster was on his feet. And you watch the tape. When he reaches nine, his, he does not have a glove on the canvas, etc., etc. And so they went back to their corners for the end of the eighth round. And Buster was on his feet. And then the announcers basically say they were somewhat in shock. On the Bob Sheridan call, he's excited when Buster gets up and it goes to the bell. And Bob's like, all right, like he's cheering because he knows this great fight is going to continue. And I don't know that he was rooting for Buster. 
But he had talked during the fight that Buster was a guy who had a reputation that when things got rough, he wasn't as maybe strong mentally. And Colonel Bob was excited that Buster was back and ready to continue fighting. And so the HBO broadcast, which I watch live, as I've been saying, when Buster is in his corner, he looks shaken up. But when they show Mike, Mike doesn't look that great either. His One of his eyes is swollen and almost swollen shut. <clears throat> when they come out for round nine, Larry Merchant says the obvious. Let's see what Buster's got. It seemed that he maybe was out on his feet at the end of the last round, and let's see what happens. And what happened was Mike went out and threw some big shots to try to see, to try to end the fight. And Buster, it's like he said, I'm not losing tonight. You got me, Mike. You landed a huge shot. You had your chance. I got up. Fight continued, and here we are in round nine. And in the second half of round nine, Buster Douglas came on. And again, if you're watching the fight dispassionately, Douglas's rally in the second half of round nine to almost knock Tyson down before the bell is extraordinary. It's extraordinary because the sense was, and even Ray Leonard talked about, it looked like Buster was, was going to be out of it, you know, the way that Mike hit him there. So Buster dominated most of round nine and particularly the final portion of the round. And then he went out in round 10 and he won the fight. You know, and it's considered a KO. Uh, Mike was was really blasted. He couldn't really see anymore. And, and the kind of finishing flurry, the uppercut, the hook, and Mike, you know, Mike went down in round 10. Really, by the time round 10 started, it was very difficult to see Mike winning the fight because Buster was invigorated by the way round nine played out. He looked fresh and he had to have been, as we say, he had to have been exhausted, but he looked fresh. And Buster ended up winning the fight. Uh, you know, again, Mike, to his credit, went down, he lost his mouthpiece, obviously he did not have all of his wits about him, a tough fight, getting hit so hard so many times, and the finishing flurry, Buster's uppercut was almost as hellacious as the uppercut that Mike delivered to him in the eighth round. But Mike kind of staggered to his feet by the count of eight, but he was in no condition to continue. And, and there are fights through history, Foreman and Frazier in 73, you know, 17 years prior, January of 73, where Arthur McCanty Sr. kept letting Joe continue simply because he got up before the count of 10. And Octavio Mehran, to his credit, Mike didn't have the mouthpiece or he tried to put it in, but he wasn't able to get it in properly. I mean, that's not the easiest thing to do wearing gloves anyway. But Mehran put his arms around Mike and waved the fight over and then pandemonium in the ring. But it was a good stoppage. It absolutely was legitimate to say that it was a KO, and, um, you know, and that was it. And there was never a return fight because um, Mike had, he had personal issues, as we know. He needed to get his head together. And um, Evander Holyfield was ready to fight for the heavyweight championship. And Evander was the guy who got the first shot at Buster's title. Beat Buster in an absolute three-round massacre. I mean, a fight wasn't competitive at all. Buster just got killed in that fight. Um, and then Tyson ended up going to prison. And unfortunately, he and Evander did not meet for another five years. But this fight was a landscape, a boxing history-altering thing because Mike Tyson went from this undefeated, undisputed, seemingly invincible 
you know, individual who was going to rule the heavyweight division with ease for years, and all of a sudden, in the words of Larry Merchant, he's a great fighter, but he's another heavyweight champion who, he lost a fight. He lost a fight that we all thought that he was going to win. And and that's the, that's the kind of beauty and the terror of boxing, that you just don't know what's going to happen. And um, on that night, Buster Douglas, who, as I said, was always known as a guy who had extraordinary talent and just hadn't quite put it together. He put it together on that night and authored an extraordinary performance and showed the talent that people had been raving about since he was in the amateurs. This is a big guy who he moves well, he jabs, he's not a tremendous puncher, but he can take a good shot. And he has great movement in the ring. His footwork is terrific. And he knows how to throw big shots with both hands, even if he doesn't have one-punch KO power. This is a guy that can really hurt you. And that's what he did that night. And I remember at the time, Don King was, like, complaining about, as we say, the long count. So this is not something that people just picked up on. Don King was complaining about it originally. And Mike Tyson has talked about it here and there. But there also have been a lot of times where he has been very gracious. And when he and Buster, the, you know, various events where they met, there's never been any static. I remember they did, the two guys did a special together not long after that fight where they sat next to each other and they shook hands. And Mike said, yes, I felt that Buster got, you know, the benefit of a longer count. But come on, the guy won the fight. Like Mike, even that era of Mike, you know, would still have those moments where he was gracious and understanding and appreciative of the history that goes into being heavyweight champ and everybody loses a fight, it's boxing, you know, you lose a boxing match, and you know, and that's it. And so like, historically, Tyson was on his way to at least having a chance to be considered the greatest heavyweight ever. And losing that fight, people immediately said, eh, it's tough to imagine Joe Lewis, for example, prime Joe Lewis losing a fight to a guy that he should have definitely beat. It's difficult to imagine Ali. It would have been like if Ali had lost to Henry Cooper in 63, but Ali wasn't quite at his peak at that point. And then it starts to become muddy. And then the fact that Tyson, you know, the, the conviction and going to prison, it, it's sad to say that prime Tyson, he didn't make it past that Sphinx fight. That's the last fight that we could say is Tyson's prime. And he was so young. You know, what was Mike, 22, 23, when he took out Spinks? And by the time of the Douglas fight, he was still very young, but his training, he had a lot of personal issues, you know, with Robin Givens, his wife at the time. A lot of things went wrong for Mike. And not to make excuses for him, he would say that he made, he made mistakes his own right. So historically speaking, I mean, Mike Tyson is absolutely in the top 10 of heavyweights, but this is a guy who just from a talent perspective, Mike Tyson is one of the most talent, talented men to ever lace up the gloves. You know, as is Ali, as is Roy Jones Jr. Just magnificent talents. You can't teach the speed and, and the ability that Tyson had to deliver heavy blows at close range. It's not something that's, that can be taught. And so, I'm without making any proclamations, and we can debate fantasy fights in another podcast, but 34 years ago tonight changed the calculus the trajectory, everything with regards to boxing history and specifically heavyweight boxing history because Evander's reign maybe began sooner. We'll never know what would have happened if Evander had fought Mike Tyson in the middle of 1990 instead of not fighting until 96. There are all of these questions which are real and, and fun to speculate. Like I talk about with movies, with boxing, it's fun to speculate fantasy fights. It's fun because nobody gets hurt. 
you know, it's like my old friend Derek Panza used to say in a different context when he said one of the greatest things about being a business owner instead of being a professional fighter is that even on your worst days as a business owner, you're not getting kicked or punched in the face. And us debating and arguing Mike Tyson's place in boxing history, nobody gets hurt and it's all fun. So with that, that brings to an end episode 85 of the Confessions of a Not-So-Dangerous Mind podcast. I'd like to thank you all for joining me on this nice ride that I'm having to Great Neck on this Super Bowl Sunday. If you've caught episode 85 on the YouTube channel and haven't done so already, don't forget to click like, subscribe, comment, turn on the notifications. Or if you're catching up with this episode on the audio platforms such as Spotify or iTunes, same rule applies. If you've enjoyed the content, click like, subscribe, and turn on those notifications. I'll be back with episode 86 real soon. Until then, happy Super Bowl Sunday, everyone. Be safe.